Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Jim Rats and Joints, hosted by Javon Shepard, Andy Routens, and Danny G, Dan Gladman. With producer Dan Wong and me, Jeff Cole. Brought to you by Henderson's Brewery. The best beer is the beer you love. Let's rack it up, Danny G. Okay, everybody. Hello and welcome to episode three of the Gym Rats and Joints podcast. My name is Dan Gladman and with me as always today and hopefully forever are my partners in this show, Mr. Javon Shepard and Mr. Andy Routens. Guys, always great to see you. Today is going to be our Canadian Elite Basketball League episode. The last couple of weeks we saw the 2020 CEBL Summer Series Um, It ended Sunday in St. Catharines with the Edmonton Stingers being named the champions of the league. They won it fair and square. They were clearly the best team, but we'll talk about that more and more. Uh, We're going to hear from the championship game MVP Xavier Moon during this show. But we do have a very special guest with us today, and this is the first time we're bringing a guest onto the podcast. It's Mike Morielli, the commissioner of the CEBL. And he's joining us from his home in the Niagara region. And, Mike, we are so happy to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, guys. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm going to start by congratulating you for for doing such an amazing job uh, with the CEBL. You know, it would have been easy to kind of say, let's cancel it this year. Uh, The pandemic has hit. But instead, you took the other path, which was to go through um, the difficulties of figuring out how to have safety zones, how to have 250 players, coaches, staff in one area, and to pull off um, a basketball event that was the first of its kind in Canada during the pandemic. I, I, I want to start by asking you, how do you sum up the, the summer series? Was it successful? What made it successful? And what did you learn about doing a sporting event when there's this recursed virus going on in our world well man that's uh that those are some great great questions i think first of all the summer series was an absolute success um it it was some it was a culmination of incredible amount of hard work with all our team people thought it was crazy i probably am slightly crazy but you know look at me now i think it turned out okay uh i can handle that but it was uh sleepless nights tons of hours but the end result was the people of this country and for those viewers outside of Canada, they saw the best basketball played in North America outside the NBA. That's my general opinion of it. Uh, I, I was very impressed with our quality of play last year in 2019, our inaugural season. But seeing the talent that we were able to assemble on the floor this year during a pandemic, I mean, it was incredible. Um, what was the best part for me is you see how – much this meant to players like they grabbed that trophy like this is important to them and that to me is is really the point where i say man we're on to something good here that happened last year i first saw it in 2019 when the rattlers won but to see it this time again but to read all the stories of the guys that said 
there was losses that they took last year that hung with them for a year. That just tells me this is deeper than just playing some ball, right? <laughs> this this means something. There's pride there, and there's something there that's special. And Shep, you probably know that better than anybody. Yeah, for sure. It was, it was something that I seen, and and even you know a couple guys had texted me um, while while the while the series was going on, and just to ask, can I get with the team right now? And mind you, we're in the <laughs> middle of the season. Like, you guys didn't think about this, but it just goes to show you, um, you know, beforehand. People didn't really think much of it, but then when you had to, when you finally got to see the product and what was out there, and these guys are being exposed to so much. Again, like the last game was 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 televised to was it three million people across globally oh, in oh, yeah. and, and Europe. So it's just it's it's things like that. And then I've seen guys that have also signed some lucrative deals, and I, I'm a, I actually believe that they wouldn't have had those opportunities if they weren't right. showcasing those talents right now. Because some of those guys are first year guys or guys that have haven't had you know, pro careers two or three years ago and getting their first opportunity across the waters now. And I think that had a big part to do with it. But, yeah. you know, Andy and myself would have probably died at an opportunity to play, play in, a, in a league like this. And I think what you guys have going on is just the timing, right? You Now you're going to get yeah. the pickings from – because, you know, guys are done from their, their, their teams overseas – and who knows? Eventually, we may end up with some NBA guys as well because it's going to be in that in that gray area, yeah. Um, as well, so it, you know, it's a, it's a big opportunity, and you make it sound easy. But I'm going to let I'm going to expose you because there's a couple of days. There's a couple of days before in training camps where you were out there laid out on some of the benches, and and that was stress. Oh. That was stress. So you yeah. can make it sound as cool and smooth as you want right now. Oh, I see. I've seen you at your lowest. Yes, you you definitely have. I mean, there was. Man, there were some moments, and a lot of people don't know this, but I'll, I'll spill the beans here. Um, we didn't get final approval to step on a court <laughs> until 11 o'clock on the first game. Wow. So um, uh, the, the amount of pressure that myself and Josh and, and Shep, I know you shouted out Josh, the guy's a, a machine, yeah. that we were under – and me going through my head saying, oh, my God, who do I call first? Well, I got to call CBC first. I don't know who else to call after that. I got to tell the players, how am I going to do it? I was going through the whole, the whole ringer. So what happened is this, because we certainly didn't intend to be to that, for that to happen. I mean, we got out of it. Yeah, that's why you saw me passed out half the bloody time to know what yep. was going on. Um, but and, we uh, had, on, he, tried to, he tried to blame uh, it on, on – um, concussions in football. <laughs> no, go on, go on. Well, to blame it on, I blame my whole life on concussions. That just gets me by. Um, but, so, you know, we had been going in this direction. And at this time, this point, we had six to eight weeks of talking with both provincial levels of government, federal levels of government, health uh, authorities from all various regions, the province, province, et cetera, et cetera. And we were, we were working through a group that was telling us to go in this direction. And, Everything seems smooth. And then about five, six days before, you know, we're ready to go. At this point, we've said, ah, don't worry. You hit, you hit the third stage. You're good to go. There's no paperwork. There's no nothing. Based on phase three, boom, set, you're good. So we knew at that time that phase three was dropping in Niagara uh, July 24th, which was the day before we played. We didn't care. We knew it was coming. We thought we'd be good to go. So a few days before that, the uh, hopefully I have time for this, guys, because I'm gonna. It's a bit of a story, but a few days before that, you know, the city writes and says, "Hey, we got this thing sent to us. It, you guys need a permit. You're specifically said the province of Ontario order number blah blah blah. These people require, require a permit to play. We were at the top of the list, so we're like, no, we 
we don't need that. We've just been told. For eight weeks, we've been told we're going this way. They're like, no, you need it. We're like, screw you. We don't need it. And I was getting mad at this point. thinking, you know how much money we're spending on this bloody thing? We're in your building. We're giving you the promos for the city and the region. I'm going off. And uh, little did I know they were right. Um, it turns out, and we didn't figure this out until the day before, that um, we needed a permit. And we called, or we had our chief medical officer call the province, the chief medical officer of Ontario, he had not seen our proposal at that time. We thought he saw it eight weeks ago. It had already been submitted and given eight weeks previously. So we were just smooth sailing. This is Friday night, July 24th, and he gets it sent to him at about 8 o'clock at night. So now we're asking the chief medical officer of Ontario, who is probably has a hell of a lot better things to do, to turn around a permit for us by 10 in the morning the next day because that's what Meridian Center said. If we don't get it by 10, it's done. And we're like, oh, hell, this ain't going to be good. Like, there's no way. We, Josh and I be say, that's not going to happen. How, there's no way this guy is going to sit around and just spend his evening reading our protocols for the first time. Well, little do we know, it wasn't just him. There was five other doctors, apparently, that got together to review him. They worked up until midnight or 1230 in the morning. They sent us back at about 1 o'clock some updates that they wanted to see. I woke up Mike Svikovic, who kind of helps write all our proposals. I said, dude, I need your help. He gets up at 1.30. By 3.30 or 4, bang, we're done. It's out the door in the morning. It gets to the chief of staff. That gets sent to the chief medical officer again. We wait, we wait, we wait. 11 o'clock comes, you're good to go. That's what happened. So yeah. I know it's a long yeah. story, but the stress level I didn't get to tell it on no, TV, no. huh? I know. You, you didn't get to one. tell that one. You're, you guys get the first scoop here. But the stress level that goes with not having any clue whatsoever. And I, you know, I tried to play it off best I could, but my body obviously was caving around me. <laughs> that was the stuff we were going through up until two and a half hours before we tipped off. And then after all that, you still had the audacity and the balls to call out Sportsnet and TSN. Instead of, like, yes. That's why I had the balls. Especially that right there. I worked my ass off for that. Amazing. Uh, Mike, just want to say congratulations. Um, Thank you. In making this summer such a success with the CEBL, especially during such trying times. Um, it's super important that Canada has a domestic pro league, and, and for you to spearhead that means a lot to us. Um, it was fantastically ran from top to bottom. You know, DG and Chef can attest to that. Um, so the summer option is, is is unbelievable for players. You know, Chef and I uh, alluded to the fact that we would have loved to play in our prime, to have the option to stay to stay fit. You know, earn some coin, and uh, you know, play in front of Canadian fans. Um, have you thought about a winter league as well to give players the options to stay on Canadian soil? Um, is there any possibility for that? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, a lot of people looked at the our schedule initially and like, why are you doing that? And I knew why, because I knew it gave us access to the best talent. We'd get better lease rates and we're not competing directly against hockey and all this other stuff. And the same sponsors, the same ticket buyers, you know, uh, ice rental, the conversions and you name it. Plus, it opened up a whole other avenue of being in the summer and ha having a championship weekend as a summer festival rather than every other major sport as a, as a, as a gray cup or a championship in the middle of winter. I mean, right. who the hell enjoys that? Right. So there's all these multiple reasons to do it. So I don't know if we'll ever 
and, and what we do get, and, and you guys will appreciate it, is we get those guys that are used to making two, three hundred grand overseas. Uh-huh. They'll come back and play for a little bit less because they're going to get in the court anyways in practice. This gives them game film, gives them great competition, yeah. gets them better. So it we kind of it kind of works out for all of us, players, uh, us as a league, etc. So, but to answer your question, if we start getting to the point where we are attracting the talent and we're obviously generating the revenues that will afford us to pay bigger contracts and we can now extend our season, then I think we're always open to it. But I think we're going to maximize this summer first and then see what it's like. And if we grow like we hope to, uh, I think it's realistic that we can have now, instead of a three and a half month season, we can have a six, seven month season and compete directly with, uh, you know, any European uh, FIBA league or, or else otherwise. But we have to get there first. Mr. Commissioner, I, I would have to think when you were setting up the league prior to the 2019 season um, that a lot of the allure of the teams being based in cities across Canada is to sell tickets and to get bums in seats and to make this a, a community event in towns and cities across Canada. Of course, with the pandemic, that was not possible. So you, you had to go to Plan B, which was probably Plan A+, plus to have television involved anyway, which was always part of it. And, you know, you can't really do pro sports without TV. But this year it became even more of a focus as, as we're seeing with right. all the leagues that they're all made for TV now. Um, can you, you know, and obviously I'm bringing this up cause I was quite honored to be involved in, in the television production. Can you speak to the inclusion of the CBC in it? What the event meant to the CBC, what it meant to the CEBL that the big games, the semifinals and the championship were on CBC and what this can mean for the, the relationship between the league and the channel moving forward. Yeah, you know, one of the biggest things we did in the offseason last year was sign a, a media content partnership with CBC. And to me, it was the perfect home base for what we, what we do. Um, it's everyone in Canada has access to it. It's the, you know, the pathway to the Olympics, the road to the Olympics network. So we play an Olympic sport. We play a FIBA sport, which makes even more sense. Um, and, and beyond that, what they were able to do is provide that editorial content, not only, you know, nationally, but locally at, at all their kind of regional uh, CBC offices and really grow the brand. And, and so when we looked at, you know, the potential for, this year in a traditional season, we're going to have nine games on TV and spread out amongst all the teams and have the championship and, and final done. So when we went to an abbreviated one, we wanted to add, we didn't add games. We had seven in total. Um, but what we did was we con- condensed them over a shorter period of time. So every, every Saturday, the first two Saturdays, and then the final Saturday and Sunday, we had a TV presence and, you know, for CBC, it was, it was a new product. They were very excited about it. And I can tell you that, they were quite impressed. Obviously, the work that that you did personally out of the truck and Javon did uh, in the studio behind the mic had a ton to do with it, as with the whole production and, and the team that I have at my disposal. We really wanted to make this look as good as any other live sport production, and it did. Like, I tell this day, and I know it's only been a handful of days, I get told all the time – you know, this afternoon, that was da- that was great. That product looked amazing. I mean, that looked special. And and that's the importance of TV in our relationship. 
is that, you know, I, I truly believe that the, the digital forums are the future, if not the current, but the value of being on TV and the perception of being on a, on a national broadcast, man, that just from a brand point of view alone, it, it just took us to the next level. Well, I, I think all the credit for the, the on-air TV has to go to Javon Suits. Of course. I mean, that just lit up the screen. <laughs> no, but Mike, just to, you know, just to piggyback of what, off of what you're saying, like I agree when, you know, I, and I think you had said it best or, or Mike had said it best, there's, you know, there's 84 players in this league and that means there's 84 stories to be told. And I think just being on that platform with CBC and again, Amy herself did a great job of, you know, really relaying a lot of these guys' stories. Mm -hmm. So even from that standpoint, I have a lot of, and just speaking on the product, to this day, like myself, I, I get a lot of texts about how much you know that that event meant to just basketball on a whole in Canada right. to have that sport, um, you know, televised. So, you know, I can't say enough about what it meant, even just outside of you know everybody involved or the players involved with oh, yeah. them, just to showcase and just for everybody just to see like these are these are family, these are friends of of, of these players that probably don't get to see them throughout the year, mm -hmm. and just being able to see them on that stage. You know, meant a lot for not only basketball but sport in Canada on a whole. Because I think we do need to start investing more at, at these levels. You know, the semi, actually yeah. the semi pro, but the you know not obviously not the the NBA, the, the NFL, right. but you know, what is it, amateur, semi pro, whatever the case may professional, be, professional, professional, yeah, all the way. But yeah, so yeah, I, just seeing that, see, just seeing that that product will open eyes from a corporate standpoint and just see what we can do and what we can start to generate and the product that we can continue to build. So, uh, yeah, CBC's involvement was, was tremendous. And even for myself, you know, it was, it was a lot of exposure for guys, you know, even outside of basketball, the, the coaches, the, the broadcasting. I'm a kid from Scarborough, from Malvern. Like, I'm probably not, I'm not supposed to be on CBC. Like, people like me aren't, aren't supposed to be on CBC. And that you know, created a whole new... A whole new platform for for myself, and just open things up from a, from a whole different angle. Yeah, hey, listen, that is exactly why the league was put together. It was to like I think, in my, in my opinion, that that past weekend of the semifinals and finals, in terms of the sport of basketball in this country, uh, at all levels, that was incredible for the exposure of the sport of basketball. Like I just think at at that particular point in time. Friends, family, coaches, minor basketball, the guys that heard stories of kids when they grew up and these guys took off, they never seen it again. To watch national television for that basketball, you know, the basketball faithful in this country, and I didn't grow up in that, but I know what it was like from the football side. That to me, that's how I became a football player because I saw what I saw. And now so that I can share that, right? And that's what it is. That's the package right there. Obviously, you're, yeah. you're a football guy. How does a football guy cross over into the, into the basketball lane and understand what basketball mm -hmm. needs and, and still have that vision, you know, that big picture coming from being a football guy? Because this is what this country yeah. needed for the longest time, right? And we can attest to that. Like, we can all yeah. attest to that. We've, you know, a yep. long time coming. Searching for it. Searching yeah. for it. Yeah. And, and here comes this football guy with <laughs> <laughs> and really putting well, in place everything that you know, sometimes missing. Sometimes it's good to be on the outside looking in because you look at things differently, right? And I think that's afforded me a different lens on basketball. Um, the one thing I did notice is that basketball in this country is fragmented. It needs to get better. We need to get 
behind one another, right? This is European basketball. It's bing, 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 bing. You know the levels. And the National Federation is at the top. In Canada, the National Federation is not at the top right now. It needs to get there, but we all got to rally underneath. So that's, anyways, that's kind of what I bring from the outside looking in. But from a business point of view, so I understand what it's like to be a player. And I think players, they transcend sports. They understand. If you know what it's like to be a player in this sport, you probably know what it's like to be a player in another sport, right? Yeah. You, you get it. So I understand that. And then I understand what it's like to be, you know, player rep. So I understand what's good for the players. Um, you know, I, I became a, a player association president. So I was privy now to the financials of the league and all the member clubs. And when I was vice president of marketing for the player association, I was in the offices of the CFL and the teams all the time, negotiating deals, making sure that the players were protected using the intellectual property. We started a whole um, off, off the, uh, off the field marketing platform called pro players where we generated income for players off the field. So I knew I was always entrepreneurial in spirit, and it just let me do it. So this job is no different. It's just a different sport. And I thank myself every day that it's not football. And I know that's kind of weird <laughs> for me to say, but, but basketball is moving in a way different direction and a lot quicker. And uh, I, I owe everything I have to football. Uh, you know, it's the greatest thing ever happened to me. But then I always wanted to stay there and be on the on the business side. I never wanted to be a coach or a GM, but I wanted to be on the business side. I always liked it. And this just happened. And it's the best decision that ever happened to me. Yeah. Mike, kind of piggybacking on what Javon said about being a homegrown kid from Toronto and having the opportunity to be on TV now. Uh, a couple of our guys, uh, Jermaine Anderson and Joel Anthony, uh, yes. were teammates, great human beings. Uh, they got the chance to work on the managerial side for the CEBL. They spoke very highly of their experience uh, and how well organized the league was. Um, is this becoming a focal point uh, to incorporate and provide jobs for former players, especially guys that are from Canada? I, I think it's yes. So you look at, you know, when we first started this, right, you're, you're getting all your executive pieces in the place and you're trying to figure yourself out. And then you, you try and get your basketball people. We brought in Joe Razzo because, you know, like, again, I'm not going to make basketball decisions in the nitty gritty. I'll make my Elam ending type stuff. That'll be more me, but I won't get into the, the nitty gritty. I'll let basketball people handle basketball and, you know, let Joe kind of manage finding coaches and this and that. And then as we started growing, we started realizing, okay, where can we add? Where's the pieces that would be important? What speaks to the, what we're doing this league is? And it's not just a, sh a showcase of players coming back or a development of players coming up from youth sport or beyond. It's developing officials, stats people, broadcasters, coaches, GMs, executives, everything. It's the whole gamut. That's always what it's been. So it was time to add those pieces. And to their credit, I mean, a guy like Jermaine Anderson, he came to John Lashway and he hunted him down and he said he wanted to do it. And this is what he's doing. And he, and he preached it. And John, to his credit said, let's do it. And Jermaine was not getting rich doing it, right. but guess what? He's a bloody GM of a professional basketball team. And moving forward, the experiences that he makes, he'll make a hell of a lot more money in his career, but the experience he has to start and the commitment he had as the Joel Anthony to come on board for nothing, just to be part of it. Um, and everybody else that jumped on board at different levels, right? We need more of those guys, but, but I, I will say this, they got to come prepared. Like, the, like those two did right. Another and, and Javon, how much he trains and practice. I remember after week one, when Javon was on the air, he wasn't happy with his performance. We chatted a bit. I said, this is what I think this boom. 
he that whole week he was like, man, I couldn't wait till the following Saturday. Yeah. That's the type of people we want in the organization, yeah. right? And uh, so there's room for those guys or girls all day long. Yeah. Absolutely, um, Commissioner. We're, we'll get you out of here on this. Um, one thing, if if I had any not criticism, but I, I felt like seven teams was maybe an awkward number. So <laughs> it is. I'd love to I would love to see the league get to eight, even ten. Um what what kind of opportunities do you see, maybe not in the next twelve months, but certainly going forward to add some additional you know, you added Ottawa this year. What are the what are right. the chances or prospects to to add some more Canadian markets to this uh, quickly growing league? Yeah, so in no particular order, but within the next twelve months to four years, let's call it. Just then again, those <laughs> may change. But I'd like to add uh, two Quebec teams. I'd like to add a team in Winnipeg, a team in Calgary, a team in Victoria or Kelowna, somewhere in BC. Another team in the Ontario region, let's say Toronto-ish. Not it wouldn't wouldn't be downtown, I don't think. Um, that sounds like. And then as be. we move, Markham. <laughs> and then if we move further further east, you know, either uh, Halifax or uh, Saint John, Newfoundland, but selective, right? You just again, you got to now. Those are more than ten, but you know, I think we've always thought we probably wouldn't go more than twelve, but who knows? But we're going to go there, you know properly and i hope to have an eighth team by next year that's that's my goal if we want it i think we can pull it off just if we can pull off covid and playing in the bloody pandemic <laughs> we can pull off another team if, if we really get everything in order so we'll see how it goes well i i, I think that is a, a fabulous answer and i loved hearing you rhyme off some of those canadian cities mike morreale commissioner of the cebl um i i think i speak for all three of us we are so proud of the work that you put in and what you accomplished um, with your seven teams o- over the, the summer series, getting through the pandemic, zero uh, cases once everybody was in the safety zone. Um, I, I think it was a, a massive success, and it just sets up uh, the future to look so bright for the league as a shining beacon of light for Canadian basketball. Thanks for, thanks for taking so much time to do our podcast today. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Anytime. Thanks, Mike. All right. All right, Mike. Mike, Thanks, thank guys. you very much. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, one uh, one thing before we get to some more CEBL uh, discussion between the three of us. We do have a sponsor. That's the Henderson Brewery here in Toronto. The best beer is the beer you love. Uh, I went straight from St. Catharines doing CEBL to a buddy's cottage up in Halliburton. I drank some of those Henderson UPAs, and yeah, that was a great way to come down from uh, from the summer series. Guys, it, it was a really cool, um, I don't want to call it a tournament because it wasn't that, although it had a Final Four feel to it, to me, in, in the final weekend. Uh, the Edmonton Stingers are the champions. They could have been the champions in the first year in 2019. Um, am I... Not off base by saying that they were clearly the favorite, clearly the best team won this event, Shep? You know, I think they were the most complete team. I don't know if going into it they would have been, people looked at them as the favorite. I think, you know, people may have looked at the roster Hamilton had, may have, you know, looked at what Ottawa was going with. But, you know, this is the most complete team and they returned an MVP, right? So that, you know, you can't dismiss that. Like, this is a guy that was just carrying his team carrying a team, and they already had a, a star-studded team. So, you know, he was head, head over heels better than the pack. 
I feel like he he did have a lot of help though. I mean, he was certainly the best guy in his team and deservedly the the MVP of the championship game and he'll probably be the MVP of the league when that gets named, but he had it, you know, Jordan Baker had a outstanding tournament. There were some really nice players there. I thought their coaching staff d- did a good job. I mean, it wasn't just a one-man show, right? No, and I think, you know, what was what was so impressive about them is the chemistry that they had. And everybody understood their roles on their team. They understood that Xavier was going to demand of a lot of attention. He was going to play the way Xavier Moon does. And, you know, that w- that led them to success. And then guys stepped up in their respective roles and yeah. played, you know, at a high level of efficiency. So that in itself is just, you know, those guys are all MVP ca- MVP calibers in their own right just for the fact that they, were, they would all sacrifice for the betterment of this team. Um, and then, you know, Jermaine Small was the coach and GM, did an amazing job of recruiting – you know, you know, great character guys that he did. And the fact that they all bought in, you know, a lot of these guys could have went anywhere they wanted to. They had um, Xavier who, who returned. He probably didn't have to as well as, um, I forget his name right now, but, you know, their format. He could have gone anywhere. He's a guy that can play anywhere in Europe, potentially in the NBA as well with his size. Travis Daniels. Travis Daniels, yeah. Yeah, can't um, believe I remembered the name. Right, Travis Man, Daniels. I watch a lot of Ed- Edmonton Stingers basketball recently. Right, and then the... You know, they had guys, Jordan Baker step up, Kamba stepped up when need be. So they had a complete team, and it was just impressive to see that these guys all accepted a role, um, you know, and played that role and just let Xavier Moon be the catalyst for this team. That was that was actually really impressive. A- Andy, I, I don't know if, the, you know, Shep and I were, were there on site a lot. We were really ensconced in what was happening in the, the CEBL Summer Series. Um what what were you able to see? Maybe taking taking a glance on TV. What did you see in this league um, that maybe impressed you or, or surprised you about the caliber of play? I saw a competitiveness. I mean, guys were out there; they wanted to win. Like Mike mentioned beforehand, you know, he he said how much this meant to all the guys, and they were holding on to losses from the year prior. Um, it really meant something, and for them to hold the trophy and, and for Xavier to have thirty one points in the final game is. It meant a lot, and I think going forward, the guys are going to really buy into that, and hopefully more and more talent will stay in the summertime and, and compete in this league. I, I just think it was a fantastically ran summer program, and I think that I hope that it can eventually turn into a year-round league because I see you know guys wanting to stay home. Uh, I think the potential for more revenue is there, and I think Canada's, uh, basketball is on the rise in Canada, and it's what people want to see. But can we get Andy to play? I might step out of retirement, yeah. you know? <laughs> that would be nice to I see Andy Routens on TV every yeah. night in Canada in a, in a, a uniform in, in this league. You know, one, one thing that stood out for me, and again, tell me, tell me if I'm wrong, but it, it was the coaches. Um, you know, obviously we're, we're talking about the players, and a lot of these guys are playing internationally. Um, but some of these coaches, Jermaine Small, uh, coaching at University of Lethbridge. You know, I hadn't heard of him prior to this, mm-hmm. and I, I thought he really showed something. You know, not only with the competitiveness of the teams, but, you know, those coaches were wearing microphones. And I got to listen in on their huddles, and we were able to play back a lot of it on TV. And the, the way they were motivating their players, the X's and O's, you know, I, I was really impressed by 
the level of coaching. You, you had a couple of guys from Raptors 905. Charles Kissy had his own team, the Guelph Nighthawks. Ryan Schmidt was the head coach of the Hamilton Honey Badgers with, with an uh, associate head coach, Chantal Vallée, who's a five-time uh, U-sports champion with the women's team at the University of Windsor. Um, you know, we're talking a lot about the players, and rightfully so, but are we now developing coaches as well in Canada that are going to be moving up the ranks in, in professional coaching in this sport? I definitely think so. I think, you know, it just goes to show the level of talent that, you know, where basketball is at in Canada on a whole, um, you know, just even outside from from the player standpoint. Like, we know the level of talent we have from players. We've seen success. Um, from A lot of these guys have gone on to NBA, play high-level college, and he's one of them that's, you know, one of the greatest shooters to ever play NCAA. And then, you know, guys have played abroad. But I think from the coaching standpoint, we've never been able to – we've never had a platform or a space for these guys to get that exposure and, and showcase what they can do. And I think now um, we're, we, definitely have, we definitely have that space, and these guys are getting that opportunity. And, and we're definitely going to see more coaches, you know, play you – know, coach at the highest level. And then we have – you know, right now we have a couple of Canadian NBA coaches, Jay Triano, um, Scott Morrison, Nathaniel Roy Mitchell, Rana. Roy Rana, who have, you know, kicked the door – you know, open it's like it has a small little crack now, mm-hmm. and then you know these guys are just grooming their skills and getting ready for you know that day when opportunity presents itself. So I think you know it's definitely a great time for basketball on a whole, man. I think I can't say it enough. It sounds really cliche, but we've never we've never been at a better place. Mm-hmm. I don't think we've been at a better place. And, I mean, coaches are essentially the pillar, the foundation to building this league. Uh, you know, if you want. The, the direction of basketball to go the right way. You need the right people at the forefront. And I think for them to sacrifice their time, especially during, you know, uh, the pandemic, you know, probably not for, you know, the most outstanding pay, but for the love of the game, you know, to raise awareness and to compete, I think it was outstanding what they did for the CBL. Now, Shep mentioned uh, grooming some of these coaches for, you know, bigger jobs down the road, uh, maybe higher profile jobs. Now, you know, I'm I'm here kind of grooming the two of you guys for big broadcasting <laughs> jobs, uh, which I see in both of your futures. Um, but I do want to ask you about the, the profession of coaching and if it's something that either of you would ever consider. You know, it's something that I've, I've always watched. Um, you know, I've been watching the NBA in, in all sports since I was, you know, a, a little boy, since I was probably 10 years old. And I always find it interesting to see how does a, a certain athlete finish his playing career or her playing career and decide to be a coach or decide to be a broadcaster or decide to walk away from the sport completely. You know, Andy, your your dad went, clearly went into broadcasting, but he had a, a side gig for several years as the head coach of the Canadian national team. Um, I guess I'm going to ask you, and I, I also don't, I'm not convinced that you're the at the end of your playing career, but at some point you do start looking forward. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you assess possibly becoming a coach and and maybe that becoming a priority for you? I think I think you have to let a little bit of time pass after you retire. I think once you lose the player's mentality, then you're able to step in a, into a different mindset. Uh, I know multiple guys who I've spoken to throughout the years. Uh, you know, most recently Tyrese Rice with Panathinaikos. He's at the at the retirement stage after this year. And I asked him, I said, you know, he's a longtime pro, one of the best players to play in Europe ever. I said, are you going to go into coaching? He said, I can't. They got too much fire. I wouldn't be able to express myself the right way. 
I would be talking to them as if I were still a player. And sometimes you can't get your message across that way because the ego is involved. Uh, one of my first years in Italy, uh, I played with, uh, I played for Gianmarco Pacheco, uh, one of the legends uh, for Italian basketball. <laughs> I had him. Yep. Yeah, and he was still a player. And yeah. he, he was he was ripping really? his clothes off, yeah. you know, during the game. He, he was <laughs> entirely too passionate, uh, you know, but hats off to him because he was completely bought in. But I just think that his message was was misconstrued at times. He would step in and, and practice with us and say, this is too easy. This is easy. Why don't you understand me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, so I think that I think that you need a little bit of time to kind of uh, reconfigure your mind in the space that you want to be in. Take notes from from coaches and, and spend time at places like summer league to really understand the game from a different perspective before diving into that, that world. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Shep, what, what, I mean, I feel like you were going into broadcasting no matter what, um, but... <laughs> I don't know. I I could still I could I I talked to both of you. I could you guys know the game so well. You're both natural leaders. I could see you coaching. Can you maybe tell me what it is about coaching that you'd rather be a broadcaster? For one, my blood pressure is already high enough. So, <laughs> so no, I think from that standpoint, I, like Andy said, you you can't you know the, the, there's a thin line between the player and coaching. I think if you don't allow yourself to decompress a bit first then, you know, it's a slippery slope if you're not prepared mentally. For me, it's, you know, I like the, the analytical side and just breaking down the game. So if it wasn't, you know, the broadcasting, it, it definitely would be on the side of some managerial side and scouting because, again, like I, I can't control, like I can't control what I want to from a coach's standpoint. I can't react. I can't express myself, mm -hmm. similar to Tyrese Rice, mm -hmm. the way I would do as if I was a player. It's mm -hmm. hard, And I'll tell you, it's, it's even hard enough right now when, you know, you things aren't going the way with broadcasting. Things aren't going the way you want to, and you have to wait a week mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to even you know readdress that or, or step sure. your, you know tie your shoes up, lace it up, yeah. put on your suit, and, and get back out there. Mm -hmm. So now, when you're a coach, and you just you don't have that opportunity at all to um, make changes or right. get on the court and, and, and do things the way you want right. to, it's even more frustrating. And so from you, an X's and O standpoint, X, exactly. You know, as a player, you only have to worry about your position, your role, essentially, unless you're a point guard. Mm -hmm. But from a coach's perspective, you have to worry about five guys at all time and, you know, drawing up plays on the fly, uh, you know, understanding clock situations, foul trouble. So it's, it's a whole different ball ballgame um, in terms of, of making that transition from player to coach. Yeah, that, it's, it's interesting to hear you guys talk about. It. I've, I've never actually had the chance to talk to pro athletes and, and ask that question. And there, there just must be so much that goes into it. And also to think that, you know, the general age of retirement for athletes is around 35. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're lucky, you you can press it to 40. But you know, for a lot of people, um, myself included, I, I felt like I wasn't really in command of my career or terribly confident in what I was doing until I was 35. Mm -hmm. So it, it's you know, it's just such a it's just such a switch. Um, 
I, I want to uh, switch gears here and get us into some NBA stuff <laughs> um, because it's been uh, the it's been a hell of a restart for the league, and I think the NBA just it just picks up where it, it leaves off because there are so many great stories, so many storylines, so many people um, beyond the court, and and just so much intrigue and drama. But for me. I think we had a little drama of our own here on this podcast, and it started last week, and it it now <laughs> I continues. Know this I know this is going. <laughs> yeah, you you should know it. <laughs> it continues, and it's going to continue, and it centers around Damian Lillard. And I think he must have heard some of the criticism coming out of Canada from from Mr. Javon, Javon Shepard, Skip Bayless Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just stirring the pot. I'm just stirring the pot. You know, we 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 got a guy here who who. I, I think it's more – it's not you saying you don't like Dame's game. I think it's more you criticize – not criticizing, but not being a huge fan of the, the scoring mentality of the, the score-first point guard. The, the, the position is traditionally someone who's making things easier and better for teammates. But here's a guy, Dame. He scored 60 or more points in three games this year. I mean, MJ never did that. that, that that's a Wilt Chamberlain kind of statistic. Got you. Um, what wh- what would you say now <laughs> that a week has gone by and the the Blazers have showed incredibly well and and here's this player who to me looks like one of the top three or four best pl- basketball players in the world. I, and I and you know what? I completely understand and I appreciate that. I can appreciate his game. The thing for me is I just don't. Those words I are kind of chewy, like, eh, Sean? <laughs> I just don't like. <laughs> I just don't like. I'm not fond of scoring guards. I came up on the Gary Paytons. I came up on the Steve Nashes. Who else? There? John Stockton. Um, Tr- more traditional more point traditional, guards. Yeah. Right. So, all right. Let me flip the script on you guys. Name a scoring point guard that has won you some chips. I mean, Steph Curry is is the name that comes. That, Steph that. was scoring Look, 35 a night with 10 assists. Steph changed the game. He, Steph changed the game. Let's be fair. He did, but but a guy like Dame was ready to step into that, right. and you know at this point Dame Steph one on one. You know Steph has the accomplishments and the accolades, but you know they're a similar player right now. Steph might be have a higher accuracy in shooting, but I mean Dame is just an absolute killer right now. And you could talk about their supporting cast as well. Uh, Golden State yep. more or less turned into a major market team, mm-hmm. while Portland is still relatively small in terms of the NBA market. Mm-hmm. And the supporting cast he's had, it's really been, you know, him and CJ. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously you have Nurk back now, who's playing really well. But I don't think he's had the support of the KDs, the, the Andre Iguodala's, uh, uh, the Clay Thompson's. And you got to respect Dame for what he – for. he's a stand-up guy. He's a man of his word. You know, he, he hasn't had a thought in his mind about leaving Portland until he wins a championship. And to me – He's gonna be there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> he might be, but you know, especially if, he does if they keep one, making the playoffs in the, in the eight seed. In the you eight, know, it, yeah. it's it's easy to forget they did get to the West Finals in, in twenty nineteen. So you, you guys tell me his, it's his supporting cast why they they can't get out of that eighth spot. Uh, I just it think might, it's just the West. Think about uh, it's so let's competitive. Go back to the conversation we had earlier, if if Portland was in the East, it's an easier it's an easier it, path it is. to the finals. It is, but I still don't think they're I still don't think they're a championship team even in the East. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I definitely don't think they are. I just, I've, me again. I, it's just, it comes down to I'm used to I'm accustomed to more traditional 
guards, right? And that's what I that's what I came up on. And I want I want to I want to score. So let the wings. Score. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, that's the real reason. In, Chef in, wants more shots. I want more shots. Fair in in terms of a team approach, yeah. I mean, uh, Portland does not have the guns to be a championship team. But hey, mm-hmm. if you know if Kawhi Leonard last year leaves the Toronto Raptors and joins Portland Trailblazers, I think they're the one of one of two favorites to get to the finals out of the West. So it You see, and I, I don't agree with that because really? for, for Dame to be effective, Dame needs the basketball in his hands. We're we're forgetting. We're gonna we can say we can make the argument that Kyle Lowry is a scoring guard as well. But with Kawhi on his team, he he took a step back. He, he, he came. He became a pass first point guard. I think Dame or, or would set do up, that. Set up the team if it was going to win more games. I don't, I don't think Dame can be effective like that because he, he may be a guy that feels he's not a part of the, the, the team or he's not. Impacting. I think he he's did what scoring. he had to do these last few games, not only for the team. He's a man on a mission, but I also think he was trying to silence some critics and some players from Los Angeles. But and I think he accomplished that mission. But overall, I think. Hand over foot, Dame would absolutely take a backseat role if he knew he was going to win a championship. If he had the supporting cast, yeah. that he would take. I mean, Lowry did. Shots you just game. said Lowry did it, right? right? I mean, Lowry did it. yeah, exactly. A lot of people in in certain situations when you know you have a a championship, but but also isn't it kind of natural when a guy like Kawhi steps on the floor the first day of practice, he kind of starts dominating anyway, and everyone by nature kind of the role just kind of shifts i mean it would look ridiculous on anybody mm-hmm. to be taking the most amount of shots when Kawhi leonard's right beside you, you we'd like to think so right like, and that's <laughs> what weeds out a lot of guys and if you if i'm thinking back to a guy like even monte ellis mm-hmm. like that's a guy that couldn't accept his role not being yeah. the man and, right and right you know, he's, he right so out a lot of those guys are out of the league because of that exactly and yeah. it happens overnight like that yeah. so it's you know we'd like to think that okay if Kawhi's on our team and we take a we take we sacrifice isn't it? But you know, it's not if, always the case. If Monte Ellis just accepts the role of a secondary scorer and more of a playmaker, I feel like his career goes longer than it than it did. Way longer. And I, the, but there's a lot of guys in that in that role. There's a lot of guys that are yeah. in that position and just can't accept taking a lesser role. Yeah. Um. You know, we we talked about Dame so much. I'll, I'll give you a break on that, Shep. Maybe till till next season. <laughs> L- we'll look- see what happens now. We'll see what happens this this year. L- looking looking at the West, there is one first round playoff matchup I want to bring up and I want us to talk about because I find it incredibly intriguing, just with with the history there and and everything. And it's that Houston Oklahoma City. I think it's going to be the four or five in the West, and. It's it it hurts me that these games won't be played in those arenas for their fans to truly enjoy it. You know, you have Houston suddenly has James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Oklahoma City has Chris Paul, who who had years in Houston, and, and you know geographically they're they're close. To me, this is this is a trench warfare first round series. And now Westbrook is going to miss at least the first game of the exactly. series with the quad injury. Yeah. And Oklahoma City, to me, actually looks like the better team. We got an outstanding kid out of the Toronto area, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Andy, l- let's start with you. What what kind of battle do you think this series is going to be? It, honestly, it's going to be, it's going to be a dogfight. Um, I think that Oklahoma City is the, the better team on paper. I think that they have more chemistry. I think they're more well-rounded. I think, you know, Houston has their two superstars, but, you know, ultimately that hasn't got them that far. 
Um, you know, they have the coach of the year in Billy Donovan. I think he's going to do outstanding things throughout the series. Um, but, I mean, just to have that kind of history, just to have that kind of uh, competitiveness and, and the beefs between Chris Paul and James Harden, as you saw on the sideline when they were getting in spats in between games, and, <laughs> you know, maybe he was the reason why he vacated Houston. Um, just to have that competitive fire and you know Russ is going to bring it, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play through something. You know, just to have that – that give the team that edge and, and uh, uh, you know, get out there for the win because that's the type of guy Russ is. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. What do you think, Shep? I'm biased. I'm going, you know, Shea, Gilchrist, Alexander is my, my young boy. He's a stud, boy, by so the way. Stud. Absolutely. And CP, I like where he's playing right now, and I'm not a fan of Russ. I'm not a fan of Russell by defense. I'm not a fan of – You just don't like point guards. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of how, the way Houston plays basketball. I, I, I don't think Shep likes anybody. No, I'm, you know, I'm here <laughs> Michael Jordan, Larry no, 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 Bird, no, no, no. See, that's Kareem. Where that's where Who else stop. do you not no, like? No, no, that's he, where you stop. He likes, he likes Xavier <laughs> those, Moon. Those are scoring wings. Those, those are scoring – I'm all for the wings. I say tiny Archibald. I just don't think Houston plays good basketball on a whole. They just – you know, re, I would love – if some, somebody tweeted me the other day when I said that and, and called me out and said – if they call me to play right now, I would love playing for them. Because, yeah, they just get up and down the court and they, they just, you know, let shots go and score. Yeah. Cool, that's, that would be fun. But from, you know, a winning standpoint, I don't, I don't see what they're really going to do or how they can really overcome it. They, they'll make a good series for some teams, but I don't see them winning. And I, and I, I just want to – when it comes down to playoff basketball, I want to see good basketball, mm-hmm. right? So competitive basketball as opposed yeah, to – I'm not sure if the, the D'Antoni system is going to get it done. It's kind no. of just up and down. I've seen P.J. Tucker's playing their, their five-man. Yeah, like, yeah, what is it? Yeah. <laughs> what are we well, doing? D.G., who is the third leading scorer for Houston? I mean, it used to be Capella, but he's gone. I don't – I don't – it must be Tucker, No. It's nobody. Russ, I mean, and, ha, Russ, and, Russ and Harden. How, how, about the, how about this, though? Let, let's stay with OKC. Can you imagine they lose Russell Westbrook and Paul George, and they're a better team? Right. You know, the, the, this, this says so much about sports to me, about how chemistry means so much. And, it's the Raptors in a nutshell. That's what it yeah, is. It's, yeah. You know, they, they, I, you know what we have to factor in as well is – He's coming. Russ is going to be coming back from a hamstring injury, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, quad. quad, quad. Sorry, yeah, quad. The way he plays is extremely explosive. Oh yeah, right. So that's that should be a factor as well. Like, are we going to get but to Russ see? Russ is a different breed. Yeah, man. he did come back from a meniscus. He, he just yeah. went 100 miles per hour right out the <laughs> yeah. gate. So, yeah. so what are we? What are that's we? That's a really game time decision. T- yeah. Talk more about Shea Gilgis Alexander because I oh, I man. feel like he he isn't as well known. Um, to the Canadian audience, and you know, we all followed him. We're, we're, we follow basketball. I remember him playing at Kentucky, and I'm like, yeah, that's a that's a first round pick right there. And you look at some of the higher NBA picks out of Canada: Anthony Bennett, Andrew Wiggins, R.J. Barrett, Andy Brown. And <laughs> <laughs> different era, baby. Different time. Second rounders don't count. Fuck is this? <laughs> So th- th- this, he looks like the best Canadian. Shea. Him and J- uh, Jamal Murray aside, yeah. uh, of those guys I named, you know, I look at Shea Gilgis Alexander and I'm thinking, he's the best Canadian basketball player right now. And Oklahoma City is proving it. They, they would be nowhere mm-hmm. without him. And now you're looking. I think all three of us would say they're going to beat Houston in the first round. If I'm the Lakers, if I can even get out of the first round, I don't want Oklahoma City in the second round. That. They are extraordinarily dangerous. What is it about his game 
that has elevated him to maybe the the upper status of Canadian players, but also why was it why was he so unheralded coming into the league? Chef probably knows him better on a personal level than I do, uh, but I got the opportunity to see him work out before pre-draft in the gym every every summer here at, over on Lakeshore when we had when we had yeah, uh, the yeah, Canadian yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, national team gym available. And he just he's he's a worker. He's a workhorse. You know, just to see him put in the time and effort with uh, with Nate with Nate Mitchell, mm-hmm. um, and and you, I think that's a huge credit to his success as well. His work with Nate yeah, uh, and, sure. and how well he he polishes guards, but just to see his intellect, the way he he soaked up the knowledge and and how hard he worked. Not to mention that he's an extremely gifted athlete. <laughs> what do you want to say? He's six five, six six at, at a point guard position. Yeah, I mean, six, he can six. put guys. You know, in the paint at will, and and not to mention his footwork. His footwork is for a guy who's you know, first second year in the league is is astronomical. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. You know, I think it also boils down to like his level of humility, and he's mm-hmm. not only does he work hard, but he's like a student of the game. Right. Like this is this is like an art for him, and he's also had outside of his natural ability. Like we can speak on that for days, and you know, his God given um, gifts with length, his arms. Mm-hmm. But he also has had some great mentors, and I really have seen how Chris Paul has really taken him under his wing. And I think if you have somebody like that leading you and mentoring you, and you're able, you're like a sponge and willing to soak up as much as um, as much knowledge as you can from a guy like that, you know, the sky's the limit for you. On top of what you are, you're already coming with. So, um, you know, for him, to me, he is definitely the, you know, I, I don't want to just say top Canadian because I think. You know where he's concerned, he's going to be one of the top guards within the entire NBA in the next, you know, two or three years. Two or three years, and I think Chris Paul is just going to hand the reins right over to him. Awesome, yeah. it, it, it's awesome to see. So, so we'll uh, the Gym Rats and Joints podcast will send out best of luck to SGA during uh, the 2020 NBA Absolutely. playoffs. We'll you know, there, there's another. You know, we're we're really focused on the West, and I, I we're going to talk about the Raptors a little bit too. But, um, boy, the Phoenix Suns, um, 8-0 in, in the restart. And it almost looks like this was a new season for them. You know, last year doesn't even matter to them. They made a statement. You know, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. We don't know. But I think the, the story with the Suns is, is what the future brings. And whenever the, the next NBA season starts, the 2021 season, man, you got to start looking at them as... A, at worst, a disruptor, mm-hmm. but certainly a team that can win a round or two. You know, they, they a little bit remind me of the, the early days of the Oklahoma City Thunder when it was Durant, Westbrook, Serge Ibaka, uh, James Harden, and Routens. <laughs> you know, uh, what, what, Andy, what, what, what do you see? Where is that franchise headed right now? Are they a player away, or are, do they have the core and the chemistry right now to be a contender within a year or two? I think they do. I mean, they've, they've made a case this year. They beat a lot of really good teams. They had good momentum going. Um, but I also think that the bubble is, is, is different. It's, it's, right. It's, it's, like you said, it's almost a new season. Uh, they're a team that really had nothing to lose going in. And when you have nothing to lose, you, know, you, you have everything to gain. So you can play freely. You can, you can enjoy you know, what you built before that and, and not have to worry about the outcome or uh, you know, the downfall of not making the playoffs. And some of these teams, I think, are feeling that pressure, like Milwaukee. Um, 
But as far as, you know, building around Devin Booker, I think they do need to bring in more pieces for him. They do have a great young core, but they need those one or two guys really to get him over the hump. I think a, a solidified big man, maybe a shot blocker presence and somebody who can finish around the paint. But uh, as far as talent goes, I think they have it, and I think that they have it in spades. What do you think, Shep? I'm just glad to see that they're showing promise now because I know there was a, you know, a time or two um, about a year ago they mm-hmm. started to really question it can, is Booker that – that guy right. can he really play at that level and really lead a team so you know the fact that they're showing what they are right now to you know to tag along what you said is that they're going forward they're going to be a team that you definitely have to be concerned mm-hmm. about and I, you know in this in this window right here it's a short it's a short window and i think to their credit their team has they've been taking their licks been taking their hits their bumps in the road and now you know in this window, chemistry is really what's going to put you over the hump, mm-hmm. right? And teams that have the most chemistry are going to be successful. And we're seeing that with them just because, you know, they, they've just, they've had a core group that's been together. They took their hits. They're also a younger group, so they're a bit more prepared and equipped for what, you know, the adversities that mm-hmm. this this short, this um, bubble mm-hmm. series, this bubble season um, brings forward. So I think they have a lot to grow on. And it's just, I'm just, you know, happy to see the success that they're having as well yeah. Booker himself. And you saw uh, Draymond take a, a few shots at the, the Suns organization in general saying that they need to get Devin Booker out of there because, you know, ultimately he won't be successful there. They need to get and he got fined he got fined 50k lucky. for that. He got fined 50k for that. I, but at the end really? of the day, at the end of the day, it's, it's I think it's well circulated around the league that the Suns organization is not really up to snuff with, you know, mm. winning a, a championship, you know, level tier team. So. Well, it, there's certainly been some some issues in the, the ownership group, mm-hmm. the managerial group, but it, mm-hmm. it does look like to me like they've they've turned the corner yeah, and yeah. they have established a, a talent level and, and a chemistry moving forward. Um, the other team that was just smoking in in the restart, and it's not a surprise to me. I don't know why it's a surprise to anybody, but the Toronto Raptors seven and one um, heading into the playoffs to me look like the 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 sh- I don't want to say the shoe in but man they look like the favorite in the east to me you know Chris Boucher now 20 25 points easy I mean he's the eighth ninth guy off the bench Four Stanley shots, Stanley yeah. Johnson who's not going to be key in the yeah, in the playoffs but man game his winner game winning shot yeah. you know <laughs> the, the, the the amount of depth and yeah. just the you know the fact that Nick Nurse kind of treated the the eighth game of the restart like it was summer league and mm. it, he's like Yo, I'm gonna go sit over here. Ag, you you coach tonight. Um, I I guess the question, Shep. Let's start it with you. You know, are the Raptors the favorite in the East? Could the Bucks, who I don't think have looked, they look disorganized to me, mm-hmm. and the Celtics, who have you know they lost to Washington, but they're the one team who kind of had their way with the Raptors. Are the Raptors the favorite, and could one of those two teams beat Toronto four times in two weeks? I think, for me, Toronto's the favorite. But I do think that Boston is a bad matchup mm-hmm. for us. If, there, if we had one, per se, mm-hmm. I'm going with Boston's going to be, would be a tough match, and we probably don't want to run into them. Um, but, yeah, Toronto's definitely the favorite. And, again, it boils down to chemistry with them. They have, they have a core group. They have guys that are stepping up. They have, got, they have guys that accept their roles. And you see, they have guys that are they're coming off the bench and stepping up. Guys that probably wouldn't have seen, mm-hmm. um, you know, the bulk of minutes in, in the regular season. But in this case, but it just shows, you know, it, it's also a testament to the Raptors themselves and how well, you know, they de- develop players and how how much they invest in the players mm-hmm. for those guys to be be able to come off the bench mm-hmm. 
and be contributors as, as much as they are. And so, I loved how happy they were for, yeah, for everybody like, else. I mean, it was a game essentially that didn't mean that much, but just to see how, you know, the camaraderie, the, 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 you know, they understand the work that these guys put in every day. Maybe they don't get the opportunity, but you know, they're just flying off the bench at the end of the game and, and they're hyped for guys that don't get those minutes. I, I think that speaks volumes about the chemistry and, and the locker room, which ultimately is going to carry them, I think, to the, to the Eastern conference finals and beyond that. Yep, I I, I got to agree, and you, you you see it. You, that team, those guys, individuals, they love each other. Mm-hmm. They ex- they accept their roles. You know, Shep, you alluded to it. Um, you, you are looking at a second round head to head with Boston. Mm-hmm. You know that that is the two three in the East. But I I I think the Raptors are going to have an easy time with the Brooklyn Nets in the first round, and I don't know if if that's necessarily good or bad because I think Boston is going to have a bit of a war with Philadelphia in the first round, and you know you look at that, Boston either comes out of it kind of scathed or they come out of it really uh, battle tested. Well, the, the Raptors might have had an easy time. E- either way, um, I think that Toronto and Boston. A second round series. This is a series I've been waiting for, really, for two or three years. Um, you know, the post LeBron era of the East, Toronto and Boston. You know, Milwaukee kind of slid in there, but I, I just right now, as as currently constructed, I don't see Milwaukee really. I, I just I can't consider them the favorite, even though they were so good in the early part of the season. Guys, we uh, we're at the end of another episode of uh, of the podcast, which I love doing with you guys. Uh, we were hoping Xavier Moon would join us, but uh, he was unable to. X will hope that you can uh, join us down the road. Congratulations to him, though, yeah, for for the the he's, championship in the CEBL. He the, stood us up, Dan. <laughs> <We got, laughs> stood us up. I'm, I'm used to that. We're Dan. the ugly days. <laughs> we are waiting it, at home. It happens, for it happens to me all the time. So, c- congratulations to the Edmonton Stingers. Congratulations to Commissioner Mike Morreale of the Canadian Elite Basketball League. We were so happy to have him join us. Uh, shout out to our fabulous producer Dan Wong, who made all of this happen today. Uh, that wraps up another episode. Enjoy the NBA playoffs. They're going to be fabulous. And we will be back next week. And we're going to have another special guest. I'm not going to hint as to who it is, but he may or may not be related to one of us. (laughs) Enjoy the playoffs. Have a great week. See you all later. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.